9. Or open doors, or ventilating shafts, at least as rapidly as it is being breathed by the persons who occupy that room. By hundreds of tests this has now been found to be on an average about 4 bushels a minute for each person, and any system of proper ventilation must supply this amount of air in order to make a room fit to sit in. If a man, for instance, accidentally gets shut into a bank vault, or other airtight box or chamber, it will be only a few minutes before he begins to feel suffocated, and in a few hours he will be dead, unless someone opens the door. A century ago, when the voyage from Europe to America was made in sailing vessels, whenever a violent storm came up, in the smaller and poorer ships the hatches were closed and nailed down to keep the great waves which swept over the decks from pouring down the cabin stairs and swamping the ship. If they were kept closed for more than two days, it was no uncommon thing to find two or three children or invalids among the unfortunate emigrants dead of slow suffocation, and many of those who were alive would later have pneumonia and other inflammations of the lungs. On one or two horrible occasions, when the crew had had a hard fight to save the ship and were afraid to open the hatches even for a moment, nearly one-third of the passengers were found dead when the storm subsided. So it is well to remember that we are fearfully poisonous to ourselves, unless we give nature full chance to ventilate us. There are also other ways in which the air in houses may be made impure besides by our own bodies, but none of them is half so serious or important. All the lights that we burn in a house, except electric ones, are eating up oxygen and giving off carbon dioxide. In fact, a burning gas jet will do almost as much toward fouling the air of a room as a grown man or woman and should be counted as a person when arranging for ventilation. If gas pipes should leak, so that the gas escapes into a room, it is very injurious and unwholesome indeed. In sufficient amounts, it will suffocate. Or, if the sewer pipes in the walls of the house, or in the ground under the cellar, are not properly trapped and guarded, sewer gas may escape into the house from them. And this also is most unwholesome, and even dangerous. Cellar and kitchen air. Houses in which fruit and vegetables are stored in the cellar become filled with very unpleasant odors from the decay of these. Others again, where the kitchen is not properly ventilated, get the smoke of frying and the smell of cooking all through them. But such sources of impurity, while injurious and always to be strictly avoided, are neither half so dangerous when they occur, nor one-tenth so common as the great chief cause of impure air our breaths and the other gases from our bodies, with the germs they contain. Drafts not dangerous. Now comes the practical question. How are we to get rid of these breath poisons? From the carelessness of builders, and the porous materials of which buildings are made, most houses are very far from airtight, and a considerable amount of pure air will leak in around window casings, door frames, knot holes, and other cracks, and a corresponding amount of foul air leak out. But this is not more than one-fifth enough to keep the air fresh when the rooms are even partially occupied still less when they are crowded full of people, as each individual, breathing quietly, requires about four bushels of air one and a half cubic yards a minute. It is easy to see that, when there are ten or more people in a room, there ought to be a steady current of air pouring into that room, and when there are twenty or even forty people, as in an average schoolroom, the current of air provided there is one must move so fast to keep up the supply that the people in the room begin to notice it and call it a draft. It would be difficult to ventilate a room for even four or five persons without producing, in parts of it, a noticeable draft of air. In fact, it is pretty safe to say that, if somebody doesn't feel a draft the room is not being properly ventilated, 
that one time this was considered a very serious drawback drafts were supposed to be so dangerous, but now we know that a draft is only air in motion, and that air in motion is the only air that is sure to be pure, there is nothing to be afraid of in a draft which is not too strong, if you are clean outside and in and reasonably vigorous, if the draft is too strong, move away from the window or the door, colds are very seldom caught from the cold, pure air of a draft, but nearly always from the germs, or dirt, in the still, foul air of a tightly closed room, this fact has swept away the chief objection to the direct, or natural, method of ventilating through open windows, methods of ventilation, fortunately, as often happens, the simplest and most natural method of ventilation is the best one, open the windows, and let the fresh air pour in, if there be any room which hasn't windows enough in it to ventilate it properly, it is unfit for human occupation, and is seldom properly lighted, most elaborate and ingenious systems of ventilation have been devised and put into our larger houses, and public buildings like libraries, courthouses, capitals, and schools, some of them drive the air into each room by means of a powerful steam, or electric, fan in the basement, others suck the used up air out of the upper part of each room, thus creating an area of low pressure, to fill which the fresh air rushes in through air tubes or around doors and windows, they have elaborate methods of warming, filtering, and washing the air they distribute, some work fairly well, some don't, but they all have one common defect that what they pump into the rooms is not fresh air, though it may conform to all the chemical tests for that article, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and fresh air is air that will make those who breathe it feel fresh, which the cooked and strained product of these artificial ventilating systems seldom does, illustration, the dark room, danger of the tenements the rooms, ventilate, from one to another, bedroom, dining room, and kitchen being practically one room, with only one window opening to the outer air, most of the old small tenements were built on this plan and are accountable for much of the lung disease in cities today, if they could be combined with the natural, window system of ventilation, they would be less objectionable, but the first demand of nearly all of them is that the windows must be kept shut for fear of breaking the circuit of their circulation, any system of ventilation, or anything else, that insists on all windows being kept shut is radically wrong. It is only fair to say, however, that most of these systems of ventilation attempt the impossible, as well as the undesirable thing of keeping people shut up too long. No room can be, or ought to be, ventilated so that its occupants can stay in it all day long without discomfort. In ventilating, we ought to ventilate the people in the room, as well as the room itself. This can only be done successfully by turning the people out of doors at least every two or three hours if grown UPS, and every hour or so if children, that is what school recesses are for, and they might well be longer and more frequent, the first and chief thing necessary for the good ventilation of houses and schools is plenty of windows, which are also needed to give proper light for working purposes, and to let in the only ever victorious enemy of germs and disease sunlight, secondly, and not less important, the windows should fit properly, and be perfectly hung and balanced, so that the sash will come down at a finger's touch, stay exactly where it is put, and go up again like a feather, instead of having to be pried loose, rested open, held in place with a stick, and shoved up, or down again, only with a struggle, illustration, a well-aired classroom the windows to the left of the pupils cannot, of course, be shown in the picture, but it can be seen that the lighting of the room is chiefly from that side, Notice that the windows are both down from the top and up from the bottom. There should be, if possible, windows on two sides of every room, or, 
if not, a large transom opening into a hall which has plenty of windows in it, with this equipment and a good supply of heat, any room can be properly ventilated and kept so, but it will not ventilate itself. Ventilation, like the colors of the great painter Turner, must be mixed with brains and those brains must be in the room itself, not down in the basement, in the schoolroom. Each teacher and pupil should regard the ventilation of the room as the most important single factor in the success of their work. The teacher has a sensitive thermometer and guide in first, her own feelings and, second, the looks and attention of her pupils. There should be vacant seats or chairs in every room so that those too near the window in winter can move out of the strong current of cold air. Illustration, a healthful arrangement of windows and shades the windows face in more than one direction. The shades are hung in the middle not only regulating the light in the room, but allowing free passage of air at the top. Windows should reach well up toward the ceiling and be opened at the top, because the foul air given off from the lungs at the temperature of the body is warmer than the air of the room and consequently rises toward the ceiling. It is just as important in ventilation to let the foul air out as to let the fresh air in. In fact, one is impossible without the other. Air, though you can neither see it, nor grasp it, nor weigh it, is just as solid as granite when it comes to filling or emptying a room. Not a foot, not an inch of it can be forced into a room anywhere, until a corresponding foot or inch is let out of it somewhere. Therefore, never open a window at the bottom until you have opened it at the top. If you do, the cold fresh air will pour in onto the floor, while the hot foul air will rise and bank up against the ceiling in a layer that gets thicker and thicker, and comes further and further down until you may be actually sitting with your head and shoulders in a layer of warm foul air, and your body and feet in a pool of cool pure air, then you will wonder why your head is so hot, and your feet so cold, currents and circulation of air, in fact, this tendency of hot air to arise, and of cold air to sink, or rush in and take its place, which is the mainspring of nature's outdoor system of ventilation is one of our greatest difficulties when we wall in a tiny section of the universe and call it a room. The difficulty island of course, greatest in winter time, when the only pure air there is that out of doors is usually cold. This is one of the few points at which our instincts seem to fail us. For when it comes to a choice between being warm or well ventilated, we are sadly prone to choose the former every time. Still we would much rather be warm and well ventilated than hot and stuffy. And this is what we should aim for. The main problem is the cost of the necessary fuel as it naturally takes more to heat a current of air which is kept moving through the room, no matter how slowly, than it does a room full of air which is boxed in as it were, and kept from moving on after it has been warmed. The extra fuel, however, means the difference between comfort and stuffiness, between health and disease. Fortunately, the very same cold which makes a room harder to heat makes it easier to ventilate. When air is warmed, it expands and makes a low pressure which sucks the surrounding cooler air into it, as in the making of wines, so that the warmer the air inside the room, or the colder the air outside of it, which is practically the same thing, the more eagerly and swiftly will the outdoor air rush into it, so keen is this draft, so high this pressure, that some loosely built houses and rooms, with only a few people in them, will in very cold weather be almost sufficiently ventilated through the natural cracks and leaks without opening a window or a door at all and what is of great practical importance, an opening of an inch or two at the top of a window will admit as much fresh air on a cold day as an opening of a foot and a half in spring or summer, so swiftly does cold air pour in bearing this in mind, and also that it is always best to ventilate through as many openings as possible, 
both to keep drafts of cold air from becoming too intense, and to give as many openings for the escape of the foul air as possible. There will be little difficulty in keeping any room which has proper window arrangements well ventilated in winter. An opening of an inch at the top of each of three windows is better than a three-inch opening at the top of one, but you must use your brains about it, watching the direction of the wind, and frequently changing the position of the window sashes to match the changes of heat in the room, or of cold outside. No arrangement of windows, however perfect, is likely to remain satisfactory for more than an hour at a time, except in warm weather. This watchfulness and attention takes time, but it is time well spent. Eternal vigilance is the price of good ventilation, as well as of liberty, and you will get far more work done in the course of a morning by interrupting it occasionally to go and raise or lower a window, than you will by sitting still and slaving in a stuffy, ill-smelling room. Plenty of heat needed. Any method of heating open fireplace, stove, hot air, furnace, hot water, or steam which will keep a room with the windows open comfortably warm in cold weather are satisfactory and healthful. The worst fault, from a sanitary point of view, that a heating system can have is that it does not give enough warmth, so that you are compelled to keep the windows shut. Too little heat is often as dangerous as too much, for you will insist on keeping warm, no matter what it may cost you in the future, and a cold room usually means hermetically sealed windows. Remember that coal is cheaper than colds, to say nothing of consumption and pneumonia. Illustration a healthful bedroom windows on two sides, shades rolling from the middle, draperies few and washable, no carpet, but rugs by the bedside, ventilating the bedroom, the same principles that apply to ventilating a living room or day room apply to ventilating a bedroom, here you can almost disregard drafts, except in the very coldest weather, and, by putting on plenty of covering, sleep 300 days out of the year with your windows wide open and your room within 10 degrees of the temperature outdoors, you need not be afraid of catching cold. On the contrary, by sleeping in a room like this you will escape three out of four colds that you usually catch. Sleeping with the windows wide open is the method we now use to cure consumption, and it is equally good to prevent it. No bedroom window ought to be closed at the top, except when necessary to keep rain or snow from driving and close the windows for a short time before going to bed, and again before rising in the morning, to warm up the room to undress and dress in or have a small inside dressing room, with your bed out on a screen balcony or porch, but sleep at least 300 nights of the year with the free air of heaven blowing across your face, you will soon feel that you cannot sleep without it, in winter, have a lightweight warm comforter and enough warm, but light, blankets on your bed, and leave the heat on in the room, if necessary but open the windows, colds, consumption, and pneumonia disease germs, in all foul air there are scores of different kinds of germs many of them comparatively harmless, like the yeasts, the molds, the germs that sour milk, and the bacteria that cause dead plants and animals to decay. But among them there are a dozen or more kinds which have gained the power of living in and attacking the human body. In so doing, they usually produce disease, and hence are known as disease germs. These germs most of which are known, according to their shape as bacilli, rod-shaped, organisms, or as cocci round, or, berry-shaped, organisms are so tiny that a thousand of them would have to be rolled together in a ball to make a speck visible to the naked eye, but they have some little weight, after all, and seldom float around in the air, so to speak, of their own accord, but only where currents of air are kept stirred up and moving, without much opportunity to escape, 
and especially where there is a good deal of dust floating, to the tiny particles of which they seem to cling and be borne about like thistle down. This is one reason why dusty air has always been regarded as so unwholesome, and why a very high death rate from consumption, and other diseases of the lungs, is found among those who work at trades and occupations in which a great deal of dust is constantly driven into the air, such as knife grinders, stone masons, and printers, and workers in cotton and woolen mills, shoddy mills, carpet factories, etc. Illustration, a vacuum cleaner most of the dust being emptied from the bag, would, in ordinary sweeping, have been merely blown around the room. By the vacuum process the dust is sucked up through the tube into the storing receptacle. In cleaning a room and its furniture, it is always best to use a carpet sweeper, a vacuum cleaner, or a damp cloth, as much as possible, the broom as little as may be, and the feather duster never. The two latter stir up disease germs resting peacefully on the floor or furniture, and set them floating in the air, where you can suck them into your lungs. There are three great groups of disease germs which may be found floating in the air wherever people are crowded together without proper ventilation for most of these disease germs cannot live long outside of the body, and hence come more or less directly from somebody else's lungs, throat, or nose, the most numerous, but fortunately the mildest group, of these are the germs of various sorts which give rise to colds, coughs, and sore throats, then there are two other exceedingly deadly germs which kill more people than any other disease known to humanity the bacillus of consumption, and the caucus of pneumonia, our best protection against all these island first, to have our rooms well ventilated, well lighted, and well sunned, for most of these germs die quickly when exposed to direct sunlight, and even to bright, clear daylight, the next most important thing is to avoid, so far as we can, coming in contact with people who have any of these diseases, whether mild or severe, and the third is to build up our vigor and resisting power by good food, bathing, and exercise in the open air, so that these germs cannot get a foothold in our throats and lungs, colds, two-thirds of all colds are infectious, and do, not to cold pure air, but to foul, stuffy air, with the crop of germs that such air is almost certain to contain, they should be called, fouls, not, colds, they spread from one person to another, they run through families, schools, and shops, they are accompanied by fever, with headache, backache, and often chills, they run their course until the body has manufactured enough antitoxins to stop them, and then they get well of their own accord, this is why so many different remedies have a great reputation for curing colds, if you catch cold, stay in your own room or in the open air for a few days, if possible, and keep away from everybody else, you only waste your time trying to work in that condition and will get better much more quickly by keeping quiet, and will at the same time avoid infecting anybody else. Get your doctor to tell you what mild antiseptic to use in your nose and throat, and then keep it in stock against future attacks. Often it is advisable to rest quietly in bed a few days, so as not to overtax the body in its weakened condition. Keep away from foul, stuffy air as much as possible, especially in crowded rooms, bathe or splash in cool water every morning, Sleep with your windows open, and take plenty of exercise in the open air, and you will catch few colds and have little difficulty in throwing off those that you do catch. Colds are comparatively trifling things in themselves, but, like all infections however mild, they may set up serious inflammations in some one of the deeper organs lungs, kidneys, heart, or nervous system. 
and frequently make an opening for the entrance of the germs of tuberculosis or pneumonia. Don't neglect them, and if you find that you take cold easily, find out what is wrong with yourself, and reform your unhealthful habits. Illustration, a year of consumption on Manhattan Island every black dot represents one case reported. The groupings show how rapidly the disease spreads from one household to another in the same locality. How to conquer consumption different forms of tuberculosis. The terrible disease tuberculosis is the most serious and deadly enemy which the human body has to face. It kills every year. In the United States, over 150,000 men, women, and children more lives than were lost in battle in the four years of our civil war. It is caused by a tiny germ the tubercle bacillus so-called because it forms little mustard seed-like lumps, or masses, in the lungs, called tubercles, or little tubers. For some reason it attacks most frequently and does its greatest damage in the lungs, where it is called consumption, but it may penetrate and attack any tissue or part of the body. Tuberculosis of the glands, or kernels, of the neck and skin, is called scrofula. Tuberculosis of the hip is hip joint disease, and tuberculosis of the knee, white swelling, spinal disease, and hunchback, are, nine times out of ten, tuberculosis of the backbone, tuberculosis of the bowels often causes fatal wasting away, with diarrhea, in babies and young children, and tuberculosis of the brain called tubercular meningitis causes fatal convulsions in infancy, tuberculosis of the lungs how to keep it from spreading. Tuberculosis of the lungs is the most dangerous of all forms, both because the lungs appear to have less power of resistance against the tubercle bacillus, and also because from the lung, the bacilli can readily be coughed up and blown into the air again, or spit onto the floor, to be breathed into the lungs of other people, and thus give them the disease. Two-thirds of all who die of tuberculosis die of the pulmonary, or lung, form of the disease, popularly called consumption. The first thing then to be done to put a stop to this frightful waste of human life every year is to stop the circulation of the bacillus from one person to another. This can be done partially and gradually by seeing that every consumptive holds a handkerchief, or cloth, before his mouth whenever he coughs, that he uses a paper napkin, pasteboard box, flask, or other receptacle whenever he spits, and that these things in which the sputum is caught are promptly burned, boiled, or otherwise sterilized by heat. The only sure and certain way, however, of stopping its spread is by placing the consumptive where he is in no danger of infecting anyone else, and as it fortunately so happens that such a place that is to say, a properly regulated sanatorium, or camp is the place which will give him his best chance of recovery, at least five times as good as if he were left in his own home, this is the plan which is almost certain to be adopted in the future, its only real drawback is the expense. But when you remember that consumption destroys 150,000 lives every year in this country alone, and that it is estimated that every human life is worth at least $3,000 to the community, you will see at once that consumption costs us in deaths alone, $450 million a year. And when you further remember that each person who dies has usually been sick from two to three years, and that two-thirds of such persons are workers, or heads of families, and that tens of thousands of other persons who do not die of it, have been disabled for months and damaged or crippled for life by it. You can readily see what an enormous sum we could well afford to pay in order to stamp it out entirely. One of the most important safeguards against the disease is the law that prevents spitting in public places, not only the germs of consumption, but those of pneumonia, colds, catars, diphtheria, and other diseases. 
can be spread by spitting. The habit is not only dangerous, but disgusting, and necessary, and vulgar, so that most cities and many states have now passed aid laws prohibiting spitting in public places, under penalty of fine and imprisonment. Illustration, a report form from a health department laboratory in a suspected case. The physician sends a specimen of the sputum to the laboratory to be tested, and receives a reply according to the result of the test. The form is filled in with the name of the patient and signed by the director of the laboratory. The next best safeguard is plenty of fresh air and sunlight in every room of the house. These things are doubly helpful, both because they increase the vigor and resisting power of those who occupy the rooms and might catch the disease, and because direct sunlight, and even bright daylight, will rapidly kill the bacilli when it can get directly at them. How great is the actual risk of infection in crowded, ill-ventilated houses is well shown by the reports of the tuberculosis dispensaries of New York and other large cities. Whenever a patient comes in with tuberculosis, they send a visiting nurse to his home, to show him how best to ventilate his rooms, and to bring in all the other members of the family to the dispensary for examination. No less than from one-fourth to one-half of the children in these families are found to be already infected with tuberculosis. The places where we look for our new cases of tuberculosis now are in the same rooms or houses with old ones. A careful consumptive is no source of danger, but alas, not more than one in three are of that character. Illustration, a sign that ought not to be necessary but, being necessary, it should be strictly respected and obeyed. It has been estimated that any city or county could provide proper camps, or sanatoria, to accommodate all its consumptives and cure two-thirds of them in the process support their families meanwhile, and stop the spread of the disease, at an expense not to exceed $5 each per annum for five years, rapidly diminishing after that, if this were done, within 30 years consumption would probably become as rare as smallpox is now, someday, when the community is ready to spend the money, this will be done, but in the meantime, we must attack the disease by slower and less certain methods, illustration, a comparative death rate of contagious diseases note the number of deaths from tuberculosis to one from smallpox, yet smallpox before the days of vaccination and quarantine, was the universal scourge. Similarly, by preventive measures, we are controlling the other diseases. Why not also tuberculosis? Statistics for Greater New York, 1908, total number of deaths from all causes, 73.072. Why the fear and danger of consumption have been lessened. Terrible and deadly as consumption island we no longer go about in dread of it, as people did 25 years ago, before we knew what caused it, for we know now that it is preventable and that two-thirds of the cases can be cured after they develop. The word consumption is no longer equivalent to a sentence of death. The deaths from tuberculosis each year have diminished almost one-half in the last 40 years. In nearly every civilized country in the world, and this decrease is still going on. The methods which had brought about this splendid progress, and which will continue it, if we have the intelligence and the determination to stick to them, are, first, the great improvements in food supply, housing, ventilation, drainage, and conditions of life in general, due to the progress of modern civilization and science, combined with a marked increase in wages in the great working two-thirds of the community. Second, the discovery that consumption is caused by a bacillus, and by that alone, and is spread by the scattering of that bacillus into the air, or upon food, drink, or clothing, to be breathed in or eaten by other victims. Third, increase of medical skill and improved methods of recognizing the disease at a very early stage, 
A case of consumption discovered early means a case cured. Eight times out of ten, it's cure and prevention. Fortunately, the same methods which will cure the disease will also prevent it. The best preventatives are food, fresh air, and sunshine. Eat plenty of nourishing food three times a day, especially of milk, eggs, and meat. Sit or work in a gentle current of air. Keep away from those who have the disease. Sleep with your windows open. Take plenty of exercise in the open air. And you need have little fear of consumption. In the camps, or sanatoria, for the cure of consumption. These methods are simply carried a little further. To make up for previous neglect. The patients sit or lie out of doors all day long. Usually in reclining chairs. In summer under the trees. And in winter on porches with just enough roof to protect them from rain or snow. They sleep in tents, or in shacks, which are closed in only on three sides, leaving the front open to the south. They dress and undress in a warm room, or the curtains of the tent are dropped, or the shutters of the shack close night and morning until the room is warmed up. In cold climates they dress day and night almost as if they were going on an Arctic relief expedition, and spend 24 hours out of the 24 in the open air. They eat three square meals a day, consisting of everything that is appetizing, nutritious, and wholesome, with plenty of butter, or other fats, and in addition, drink from one to three pints of new milk and swallow from six to twelve raw eggs a day. You would think they would burst on such a diet, but they don't, they simply gain from two to four pounds a week, lose their fever and their cough, get rid of their night sweats, and usually in from two to five weeks are able to be up and about the camp taking light exercise, when they have reached their full, normal, or healthy weight for their height and age, their amount of food is reduced, but still kept at what would be considered full diet for a healthy man at hard work, if sick people can be made well by this open air treatment, those of us that are well ought not be afraid to have a window open all night, two thirds of the treatment that would cure you of consumption will prevent your ever having it, while tuberculosis chiefly attacks the lungs, It is really a disease of the entire body, or system, and cannot attack you if you will keep yourself strong, vigorous, and clean and